morning. It's good to see you here today. We're going to be in the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 3. Uh, we've been in this series for the last couple of weeks, um, so it's a hard book to find if you uh, haven't found it yet. Uh, keep working on it. we got one more week in the book of Jonah, so we'll be in Jonah chapter 4 next week. Uh, if you are a visitor here with us, we're grateful that you're here with us and worshiping. Uh, what you'll find out is we love the Word of God, how it speaks to us, how it challenges us and comforts us and convicts us at times. And so what we do each week is we gather as we sing to our God and then we open up His Word and allow Him to speak into our hearts. And so before we dive into to Jonah 3, let's get a, a running start. Remember where we've been and, and then where we're going. So Jonah chapter 1, we, we talked about the tendency of all of us, all of us, you, me, we have the tendency to run from God. But at the same time, God in His grace and in His mercy and His love has the tendency to pursue us, to pursue us. And that's what we find in Jonah 1. Jonah has heard from the Lord and he's like, I don't want to do that. And so he runs the other direction and God pursues him, not in his wrath, but in his love. And he brings a storm into Jonah's life in order to turn Jonah around to love and to follow him. And then in chapter 2, we looked at last week, after God has brought the storm into Jonah's life and this fish to swallow him up, Jonah prays uh, from the belly of the fish. Remember, he held out three days and three nights, so way longer than I could have. I'd have made it maybe three minutes. But he makes it a little while, and then he finally prays to God. And God, in his mercy, hears Jonah's prayer, and he answers him, brings salvation to Jonah. Jonah proclaims salvation belongs to the Lord and him alone. So what we're going to see here in chapter 3 is now Jonah has been spit up by that whale, and I don't know what's worse, to be vomiting or to be vomited up. I don't know which is worse, but the second sounds a lot worse. But here, uh, Jonah is now on this dry ground, and God is going to come to Jonah again. The word of the Lord is going to come to him again, and we'll see how Jonah responds. So let's look at the word of the Lord, starting in verse 1, Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I will tell you. So Jonah arose and he went to Nineveh. Totally different than chapter 1. Chapter 1, he rose and went to Tarshish, trying to flee to the other side of the world. Jonah rose to go to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. So Jonah began to go into the city. Going a day's journey in, he called out for 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and removed his robe. He covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation, published through Nineveh, by a decree of the king and his nobles, that neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let him not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. For who knows? Who knows? God may turn and relent 
and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, that speaks to us. Lord, we need it today. We desperately need it today. Both those watching online and us in the room, we need you to speak. God, your word says those that love your word, you give great peace to. So Lord, we're asking for that great peace today as we look to your word. Help us to be able to view our lives and this world through the truth of your word. May we stand in awe of your truth. Help us and our hearts to rejoice in your word today. Now, if you would, let me just invite you. Take in this moment of silence, just take a moment to pray and ask that God would speak to you through his word this morning. Pray to him now. Now that you've prayed for yourself, let me just invite you to pray for someone else. Someone that you know needs to hear the word of God today and needs that peace. Would you pray for whoever God brings to your mind right now? Pray for them. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would comfort us today that you would convict us where we need to be convicted God that you would challenge us in ways that you know that we need to be challenged God that you would bring strength for those who are weary from your word today God we ask all this in your name Amen Well in 1981 1981 so a while ago now in 81 this man named Steve Callahan was sailing his 21-foot sailboat out in the Atlantic Ocean, down around the Caribbean area. And uh, he either hit a reef or something, but it, it wrecked his boat in a hole, got in his boat, and all this water started to flood into the boat. And so he had to bail. He had to get in a raft and, and get out of the boat before it sunk. And so you see this picture of him right here. He gets in this raft and he gets in the water. And for the next 76 days, he's floating out in the Atlantic Ocean all alone for 76 days that's two and a half months he's out there he loses a third of his body weight he gets dehydrated while he's out there but he's trying to figure out how do I make it back to land how can I be rescued how do I navigate these waters in such a way that will lead me to a port and what Steve does is he actually takes three pencils unbelievable it's a true story he takes three pencils and he puts them together to make a sextant and this is a, a thing that sailors will use in order to look at two fixed realities and be able to determine where they are. So they take the, he takes these three pencils and he puts them together. You can kind of see it in the picture here. And he looks at the fixed reality of the sun and the horizon. And doing some math and knowing the distance between those two, he is able to navigate the waters, get in this current which takes him into the Caribbean, 
where I guess he took a long vacation after being out there for two and a half months, right? He wrote a best-selling book that you can go and buy and read that tells his story of how he was able to create this device in order to look at two fixed realities in order to reach a rescue. Now, why do I tell you that? Well, because this passage in Jonah 3 today, there's two fixed realities about our world that we have to see, we have to know, we have to understand. Because these two fixed realities are what our whole universe revolves around. If we can understand these two fixed realities that we find about God in the book of Jonah, it helps us to navigate uncertain waters. It helps us to navigate to where we ultimately desire to be in the presence of the Lord. So what are those two realities? What are the two things I want us to grasp? Well, first is the compassion of our God. The compassion of our God. The Lord abounds in compassion to us. Jonah chapter 3 drips. It just drips with God's compassion all throughout it. All 10 verses, we can look and we can see the compassion of the Lord over and over and over again. And we first see God's abundant compassion to Jonah. If you look in verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. This is God's compassion that he would come to Jonah a second time. Church, aren't you thankful? Aren't you glad that our God is the God of second chances? Our God is the God of second chances. God didn't come to Jonah and say, okay, fine, Jonah, you're going to run from me. You're going to rebel from me. Fine. I guess I'll forgive you. I guess I'll let you back in the circle of trust, but I'm never going to use you again. I'm never going to have you be one of my prophets again. I'm not going to allow you to be a part of my rescue mission. You've messed up. You've struggled and disbelieved. You're not going to be a part of my mission anymore, Jonah. I'm done with you. Now, God, in his mercy, could have forgiven Jonah and moved on, and that still would have been merciful. But God's compassion takes it to a whole other level. He doesn't just forgive Jonah. He restores Jonah. He doesn't just say, Jonah, fine, you're, you're, you're forgiven. No, he, he says, Jonah, I heard your prayer, and I'll forgive you, and I'll come to you again and even ask you, invite you back into the rescue plan that I have. I still want to use you, Jonah. It's amazing that God will look at us at our deepest struggles and our different, our different doubts that we have, and he would say, I can still use you. I'll, I'll give you that second chance that you need. It doesn't disqualify you that you struggle. What disqualifies you is if you only look to yourself for restoration. You have to look to the Lord, the God of second chances. This is God's compassion. And God doesn't just show compassion on Jonah. He shows compassion on the city of Nineveh. We talked about Nineveh a few weeks ago, but Nineveh was known for, for several things. And, and in this passage that we just read, it says it was an exceedingly great city. Almost every chapter talks about how great the city is because it was the greatest city known at that time. The expanse of the city... The passage we read says it was a three days journey to get through it. That's what it tells us in verse 3. This is a huge city in size. Huge. What we know from historians is they've gone and they've, they've dug in this area and they've seen stuff. Is The city of Nineveh, though it was big, it actually had defense and security all the way around it. They had two walls. Most cities only had one. They had two. They had a, 
inner wall and an exterior wall. That inner wall was 50 feet thick and 100 feet high. To give you a frame of reference for that, the Great Wall of China, at its base, at its thickest part, is 20 feet thick. And its very highest is 26 feet tall. I mean, it's, it's easy for this city to trust in their security. They've got it all figured out. They're safe. They're secure. They don't need anything, right? This, this city is the pinnacle of all cities at this time. It's the capital of Assyria, the world power at that time. It would be easy to think, man, they don't, they don't need God. They don't need his compassion. They've got everything that they need. But God in his compassion knows they don't have what they ultimately need. They need me. So God sends Jonah to the city. The city. He goes there. It's, it's not just that this was a great city and that Jonah eventually goes there, but this city was, was known for its wickedness and its cruelty. And I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but the, the Syrians, they would go in to different cities and nations and they would conquer them and they would do horrendous things. They would murder your kids and your family members in front of you before they killed you. They would literally fillet people and then take the remains and put it on the outside cities of the walls. I mean, this is dark stuff that Nineveh is doing in this moment. Dark stuff. And if you look at this and you're thinking, they've got everything they need, they've got all their world power, they've got all the, the economic power that they need, they're, they're cruel people, like why in the world would anybody want to go there? Like why would somebody want to go and preach the gospel to these people? One historian said that this city, this nation, was the cruelest, vilest, most powerful, idolatrous empire in the history of the world. It's unbelievable. Nahum, another prophet, calls the city of Nineveh and the Assyrians the city of blood. Why in the world would anybody go there? Because God in his deep compassion is calling someone to go there. He's calling someone to go there. The only reason that Jonah went, even after his rebellion and his running, is because of verse 3. Look at verse 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. That's why he went. That's why we go. Because God commands it. He is our Lord. He is our King. And his word commands it. Guys, it is so, so easy for us to rest on our feelings and let our feelings lead and guide us. I mean, our nation spends millions of dollars to get you to buy things based on your feeling of I want this or I want that. Like that consumerism mindset. If Jonah was waiting for his feelings to align with the will of God, he never would have gone. We see he's reluctant and in chapter 4 you're going to see he gets angry when these people turn and follow the Lord. So in this moment... It's not his feelings that are leading in there. It's not even an open door of opportunity that's leading Jonah there. You know what the open door was for Jonah? The ship that led him to Tarshish. Hey, it's there. The, the ship's in the port. I want to run away. I can get in here. That, that was the open door. So it wasn't that he had the right feeling. It wasn't that there was an open door to do this. It was because the word of the Lord came to Jonah and said, go and do this. This is the compassion of God to go to a people like this. 
That's what he does. God leads him and leads us to be obedient to his word. Church, we have to hear this today. I mean, if, if you have your Bible here or, or on your iPad, highlight and underline this according to the word of the Lord. We have to live according to the word of the Lord. I mean, have you ever thought about this? If Jesus would have lived based on his feelings, the Son of God never would have gone to the cross to die for you and me. He never would have done it. I mean, think about it. Jesus, the day before he's hung on a cross, where is he? He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying. He's praying, right? And what is he praying? Father God, if there's any other way possible for me not to go to the cross to save these people, is there any other way to be saved? God, make it clear now so I don't have to go through this. There's not warm fuzzies in Jesus' heart in that moment. There's this understanding of pain and torture and that's coming his way. And he's like, I don't want to do it, God, but not my will, but your will be done. So Jesus goes to the cross according to the word of the Lord. Not because he had the right feelings in his heart. Do not look on opportunities to guide your life. Don't always look for the right feeling to be there. Look at the word of the Lord and allow it to guide your life. Allow it to guide your life. And some of us who have been going through this Jonah series, God has been speaking to you. You have heard the word of the Lord. You can think back two weeks ago in your chapter one, you're like, yeah, God, you, you really spoke to me then. And you've tried and you've worked so hard to live it out. And you're like, I failed. I'm struggling still. I failed again. And this is the beauty of this. Our God, yes, is the God of second chances, third and fourth. But, but more than that, his compassion leads to move past chances to a new heart and a new life. And this is what our God does. Some of you are like, Ryan, I, I get God is a God of second chances, and I need it because I haven't lived according to the word of the Lord, but I've tried and I continue to fail over and over again. Well, know that our God is the God of new life, not just second chances. My daughter, she starts fourth grade tomorrow, so she's, she's nine years old. And if we set my daughter down and we gave her a calculus test, and we said, hey, we want you to do this test. See if you can do it. She would have no idea. She hates math. She would have no idea how to do this. She would struggle to go through this. And we could say, okay, in our compassion, what we're going to do is we're going to give her that test again. After she's failed the first time, we're going to give it to her again. The exact same test. So she knows all the questions. She knows what's coming. Let her take it again. What's going to happen? She's going to fail again. She's nine, right? She's not going to be able to pass this calculus test. Well, okay, we'll give it to her a third time and a fourth time. That's ultimately not what she needs. And ultimately, a second or third chance is ultimately not what we need. What we need is a new heart and a new life. And that's what Jesus came to bring us when he died on the cross. See, we need somebody to take that test for us because we're always going to fail. And Jesus came and took the test for us. He lived perfectly the law, and he stood perfectly in our place. And we might not understand all the depths of that. But we say, God, somehow, in some way, you dying on that cross was, was for me. It was for me. We might not understand the depths of all of that. But we need to see through the cross and through the resurrection that our God takes out our heart of stone and gives us the heart of flesh. He gives us new desires and new passions. So if you're sitting here saying... 
I, I need a second chance and a third chance. And I continue to fail over and over and over again. Would you look to the Lord who gives a new life to those that would believe in him, to those who would trust in him? This is what God in his compassion does. Yes, he gives, he gives Nineveh a second chance. But what we'll see in a minute is he ultimately gives them a new heart and a new life. This is the compassion of our God. So that's one fixed reality. Our God is a compassionate, loving, gracious, good God. But at the same time, he is a mighty God. It's a second fixed reality that we have to grasp to guide through these uncertain waters. You see, our God is loving enough to want to save us. And at the same time, Jonah 3 says he's powerful enough to do it. It's not just that he's loving and say, oh, I wish I could save you, but I can't. No, he is powerful and he's mighty and he's sovereign and he's bringing salvation to us through the weakest of vessels, through the smallest of ways. I mean, think about the book of Jonah as a whole. All four chapters show God's might and his power. If you can read the book of Jonah and not see God's might and power, then you've got to go back, rewind, read it again. God uses a reluctant prophet to bring his mission forward. God uses a wind and waves to bring about his mission. He uses a whale, and later we'll see in chapter 4, a, a worm. He uses all these things, both great and small, to bring forth his gospel to these people that don't know. This is the might and the power of God. And it blows my mind as I read this, that God would use a man like Jonah. That God would use a reluctant missionary. What God is doing when he uses Jonah is he's using the smallest and the weakest people to bring about his mission. The one who is struggling, struggling to have faith in God and to obey God, he's like, that's the one I want to use. The one who has sinned and run from God, he's like, yes, that's the one I want to use. Why? So that God gets all the credit. It's his might and his power. It's not Jonah's might and Jonah's power that, that saved these people. It was the Lord's might and power. And so he uses this reluctant man in order to bring about his message. And God uses some of Jonah's most embarrassing moments in order to bring the gospel forward. He actually brings Jonah's most embarrassing moments as the, the main platform from which the gospel is going to go forth to these people. I mean, think about it. Jonah has been in this fish for three days. So if you've seen pictures, you can look online, pictures that people have been swallowed by whales, what they look like. They are bleached white. They look albino because they're in that stomach acid. And so Jonah's probably there, maybe no hair on his head or his beard, he's gone. He's bleached white. He smells like the inside of a fish, which I don't know what that smells like, but I can't imagine it smelling very good, right? And then he walks into the city and he starts to preach. And people believe. Can you imagine the embarrassment and the shame that Jonah would feel to stand up in front of these people and to preach looking like this, right? But even in the midst of his pain and embarrassment, God uses that as a platform to share the gospel. Because listen to this. Listen. Nineveh was known for worshiping the fish god. That was their god. That was their idol that they worshiped. Okay? They even named the city Nineveh means the city of the great fish. Like literally their city is named after this. And they worship this fish until this man gets coughed out 
of this fish and rolls up and says, hey guys, that's not the true God. This is the true God. And they believe. The greatest embarrassment for Jonah was the greatest platform for which God uses to show his might and his compassion. This is what our God does. He's about using the weak in order to bring about his mission to show his strength. He uses Jonah, a reluctant missionary. And he even uses a simple message, uh, an extremely simple message. Just five words in the Hebrew language that Jonah would have spoke and this book would have been written in. But look in in verse 4. This is his message. This is what he's preaching to the people. Yet for 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Could you imagine if that was like our message today? Like you came in here, I gave you five words, and we're like, hey, no need to sing. We're out. Like, we're gone. And yet God uses those few words, and he changes a nation. Changes a nation. What would God desire to do with your few words this week? Maybe just five words that you would speak to somebody this week. Not because you're powerful or not because the way you would say them would be so eloquent, but because God is powerful. I mean, Jonah didn't want these people to believe. He didn't. I, I picture Jonah going in and saying this message probably half-heartedly. Because he, we'll see next week, he didn't want these people to believe. So I picture Jonah kind of going in there saying, hey, y'all, um, y'all, y'all should repent. You know, like some judgment's probably coming. So just, just, just repent. What was that, Jonah? Like, what did you say? Oh, just 40 days, 40 days in this And they hear and they believe. Jonah didn't want them to believe, but it wasn't about Jonah. And it wasn't about the eloquence of his speech. It was about the power of the Lord to save. And so he speaks a few words, and God changes the heart of these people. This is God's desire. See, God doesn't crush us in his might. He could, but instead God crushed Jesus in our place that we could be saved. God's ultimate passion and desire is not that the wicked would be judged, but that the wicked would be saved. Ezekiel chapter 33, you'll see it on the screen. This is what Ezekiel 33 verse 11 says. Say to them, says the Lord, as I live, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way and live. So turn back from your evil ways. But why will you die, O house of Israel? What Ezekiel is saying right here, we're seeing lived out in Jonah 3. These people in Nineveh, yes, they were reckless, wretched people. And God's like, my compassion is leading you to go there so they would believe. And my might is going to bring about salvation. God does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that they would turn and they would believe. And that's what the people of Nineveh do. In verse 5, it says, And the people of Nineveh believed God. I love the language right there. It doesn't say the people of Nineveh believed Jonah. Because Jonah was such a great guy and he had such a great message. And this is a turn and burn message, right? I, this is a poor message. I I preach for a living. I've listened to a lot of sermons. I mean, Jonah's message is a poor message. There's no intro. There's no real conclusion. There's no pithy illustration. It's just turn and burn. And God in his might 
causes the people to believe in him. They hear the message and they respond. They respond. This is God's might and his compassion on display. And it's really funny how they respond. I mean, some, some good ways, some ways like, ah, you, don't, you have some of it down, not all of it together, right? They repent. They turn from their evil ways, it says, which is amazing. Praise God for that. They would turn. That's what repentance is, turning from something to something. And it's amazing, too, that they fast. Because what fasting is, and then they put on sackcloth, what those are, those are exterior signs of an inward change. Something has changed in their heart as they've believed in God, and so exteriorly things are changing in their lives. And so like, well, we're going to fast. What is, what is fasting all about? Jesus calls us to fast. It's saying, God, you are more important and I need you more than anything else. And so as my stomach grumbles, it's a reminder for me to pause and to pray because I need you. So they fast in that moment, saying, God, we need you. And then they put on sackcloth. What is this all about? He, it even says the king takes off his robe, his comfy, fluffy, beautiful robe, and he puts on sackcloth. This was uh, coarse fabric that you would put on. Like, it, would, it would rub against you and just not feel good, and you would wear that, and it would be a reminder. Man, my comfort doesn't come from what's around me. My comfort and my peace comes from my God who watches over me. So they would put this on, and these would just be external reminders of what God had done in their heart. This is what God does in this moment. And this is where they get it a a little off, and it's a little humorous, because they're like, hey, even our animals are going to repent, right? Like, let's put sackcloth on them, and let's not let them eat. And so they're looking at the moment, and you're like, "Uh, I I don't think animals can be saved, right? Like, it's your sin that you need to repent of, not, not the animal's sin in this moment. But what it's showing us even in that is that you don't have to fully understand in order to fully believe. Some of you, your biggest excuse is, I don't fully understand everything. And when I fully understand it and have all my theology in order, then I'll believe in God. When you find these people here, they believed God, but not because they understood everything. They didn't understand everything. And yet they still fully believed in God. This is who our God is. This is his might and his power to save. So, so what does all that mean for us, right? There's two giant fixed realities of God's compassion and God's might to bring salvation to us. What does that mean for us? Let me say two things. One, if you don't know Christ, be saved. Be saved today. Be like these people of Nineveh and turn to God and believe, please, I mean, that's why Jonah comes there. This is God telling the people, there's judgment that is coming for your evil works. Would you believe and find forgiveness? And that's what we find in chapter, or verse 10. That God hears their prayers and sees their repentance and he he relents of disaster as they believe in him. And hear me very carefully this morning. There's a huge difference between feeling remorse and resolution and repentance vastly different. For a lot of the, the, the younger stages of my life, I lived out remorse and resolution. Oh, I'm convicted for something, either getting caught for something or just knowing that something's bad, and so I feel remorse for it. And then I'm going to resolute, I'm going to work harder, I'm going to do better, and I'm going to try harder, right? That's what I'm going to do. That's not what repentance is. It's not what repentance is. You see, 
remorse and resolution, that's me focused. I'm going to do better. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to work myself to, to being good and right before God. Repentance, on the other hand, says, I can't do it. God, I need more than a second chance. I need a new heart. And looking to Christ and saying, somehow, in some way, his death and his resurrection paid for my sin. So I'm going to love him, and I'm going to trust in him, and I'm going to allow him to strengthen and sustain me. That's what salvation is. Some of you have heard the word of the Lord come to you through this week, or maybe through this series on Jonah. And this is the second or third time the word of the Lord has come to you. Please, please turn to him. Repent and believe in him. Be saved. For the one who is a believer, where you're like, I know I've been, been saved, then be sent. Be sent. That's what God did for Jonah. Jonah and all of his struggles and all of his doubts, God says, yeah, I'm sending you. And what Jonah shows us is that the mission of God is not for the elite. It's not for those who are perfect. It's not for those who are well-rested and everything in their life is in place. I mean, if you think about the life of Jonah, think about it for a second. Jonah was exhausted. He, he's just been through this crazy storm and cast off a ship and swallowed by a fish. And you've got to think he gets coughed up on the shore. And he's got to be like, God, I hear what you're saying. I should go. You're, you're sending me now. Whew, can I get like three weeks, Gatorade, rest up, a little vacation here on the shore before I go into Nineveh? Like, i got to make sure everything's right and in order before I can go and tell people this good news. No. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah, and Jonah goes immediately. In his mess and in his crazy doubts and struggles, all of those things, God's like, no, I want to use you. He wants to use you. He does. We're just sent. And church family, I, I want you guys to hear this morning. This is our passion as a church, for us to go from neighborhoods to nations. And God is desiring for all of us to be saved. And once we are saved, we are sent. We're sent. So we have one of our missionaries from our church, Allison Dominguez, is going to come up here. And some of you know her. Some of you are new to this church and you don't know Allison. But Allison has an amazing story. Allison was saved later in life. And when God saved her, then through a journey that she's going to share a little bit, journey of doubts and struggles and reluctancy, God sent her across the globe to Africa. She's been serving Africa for, for several years now. She's been back with us for several months and is about to go back at the end of this month to Africa. And so church family, she sat just like you're sitting, in these same seats most likely. We probably had these same seats then. She sat in these seats and God saved her and then sent her. He's doing the same thing for you and I. So Allison, share with us and then we'll pray for you. I love this story of Jonah, the reluctant missionary. It is a story that is encouraging to me because it's such a beautiful reminder that God is working even when we're a little bit reluctant. And it's also a story that is challenging and convicting um, because I know that every day I miss opportunities to share about the amazing gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ that I have. And so my prayer for myself and for each of us is that we would be bold and we would do as Jonah. We would obey God. We would go where God has sent us. 
and we would share the good news of Jesus Christ that we have. I love the reluctance of Jonah. For those of you that don't know me, God called me to missions over 10 years before I actually arrived in the Gambia, West Africa, where I serve. God had a lot of equipping, a lot of preparation that I needed to do, but he also needed, me, needed to bring me to this amazing church family who loves the Lord, loves his word, and takes that command to go and to share very seriously. I love the reminders in this story that God is working. God is working in the Gambia, West Africa, where I serve. It is a country that is 99% Muslim. And that is a heavy burden. There are days that I'm walking home from the village after spending time with the women, and I am just overwhelmed by the weight of the lostness around me. But what helps me to get through that day and what helps me to lift up my head the next morning and to go and share is remembering that God is compassionate. God is mighty to save. He is working in the Gambian people. He is working in our neighbors here in Concord, North Carolina. He is working in the people in Boston that our mission trip is going to be encountering soon. And he's working in our families. And our job is just to go and to share. And the other thing that helps me to get through each and every day is knowing that I have this amazing family here at West Bears Church and that you guys are praying, that you guys are interceding, that you guys are lifting me up to the Lord, that you're holding on to the rope that I'm on in the Gambia, West Africa. Y'all are every much a part of the team and the work that God is doing in the Gambia. And so I wanted to just take a moment also and say thank you I've been in the U.S. for about a year now, and you guys have loved me well, encouraged me, prayed for me, been interested to learn more about what God's doing in the Gambia, and so thank you for that. Thank you for your prayers as I prepare to return to the Gambia on August 30th, and thank you for this opportunity just to share, um, and I'll be up here at the front at the end of the service if anybody needs a prayer card or wants to say see you later, because this is not goodbye, this is see you later, and thank you. So church family, what I want to do now is I want to pray for Allison as she goes, but at the same time, I want to pray for us because we're going to our neighborhoods and the nations. So let me pray for her, and then we'll pray for each other, and then we'll stand and sing. Father, we thank you, first and foremost, that you came to seek and to save that which was lost. You came for us. God, and we love, and we go, and we serve because you first loved and came for us. And so when we lift up Allison to you now, as she goes back, God, bless the work of her hands. God, I pray that she would see uh, fruit from these gospel seeds that she's been sowing for years now. Lord, I pray that you give her favor in the sight of these, these ladies that she's investing in over there and praying for. God, I pray that you would just bless her in a number of ways, that we would just see your might and your compassion flowing through her. God, we're grateful for her. At the same time, Lord, thankful that your spirit that moves in her life and the people in Gambia is the same spirit that's moving in our hearts and our lives. God, we trust in you, in your might, and in your power. And so, Lord, use us. This week, Lord, would you use us to speak maybe just five words to somebody and watch you and your might and your power change the world. God, we trust you. 
We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand, church, and let's sing.